This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 248, and today we are talking about books being released on February 25th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Patricia Elsey Tuttle, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello! Hello! How's it going? It's going pretty good. Um, there's lots of great books, always great books. Uh, I'm enjoying life as a blonde. Really, really digging that. Wish I had done it sooner. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting my hair purpled tomorrow. Nice. Yes. I'm very excited. I don't know. I've always wanted to dye my whole head one color. You know, I've always done streaks, but I've never done the whole color. And I just, I love it. Um, so I don't know that I'm ever going to go back to being a redhead. I did that for a long time. Like, you know, 43 years, which is amazing, considering I'm only 22. Wow. That's that's phenomenal. Yeah. I have some crazy math going on. Um, we do this once a month. It's it's amazing to me because sometimes time seems very long, and then I sometimes I feel like we just recorded together last week, and that is not the case. Right. And also the internet makes things weird, too, because I feel like I just talked to you. Like That is true. Yeah. Yeah. That is also, I love the internet for various reasons, mostly animal photos, but also because that is where I learn about books and get to talk to cool people. Um, so as much as I shake my fist at it sometimes, uh, I do love the internet. I saw a great photo of a guinea pig dressed up as a cupcake the other day. Oh my like, gosh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, this is quality content. This is why I'm on the internet. Um, and I do learn about awesome books that way, including my first pick. But before I tell you about it, we're going to listen to an ad from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX is The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so I kind of just cut us off there, and I'm just going to talk about books, so I hope you're on board with that, Patricia, I mean. Sounds great. Yeah, no, totally. Okay, so my first pick is Bent Heavens by Daniel Krauss. Now, I first heard about this book from Kelly, 
Uh, she mentioned it online, and I couldn't find it anywhere. It wasn't she like knew it was like super secret ahead of time. She knew about this book, and she was like, oh, "You're going to be so excited!" And then finally, I got my hands on it. I read it a long time ago, and I've been waiting to talk about it. It's so good. Uh, Daniel Krauss wrote the uh, book adaptation of *The Shape of Water*. He has written several other amazing books, and this is an excellent and powerful young adult horror slash sci-fi novel. Now, I'll just start by saying. It's extremely intense and extremely dark. Think like E.T. if it was written by Cormac McCarthy. <laughs> it's very, very dark. Uh, it's so good. It takes place in Iowa. It's about a teen girl named Liv. Uh, one day, as Liv is going to school, her father turns up in the town square. He hasn't been home, and they've been worried about him. He shows up. And he says that he has been abducted by aliens. Like, that is where he has been. And this is very troubling to everyone involved because up until this point, you know, her father did not seem to be someone who was super into aliens. And he's very upset by this experience. And, you know, he becomes, you know, just obsessed with finding these aliens. Uh, you know, it's very humiliating for Liv and her mother to because nobody believes in aliens. So, like, to have your dad be like, oh, I was abducted by aliens is humiliating for them. They're also very worried about him. And there, and he sinks deeper and deeper into his obsession. He sets these big traps out in the woods behind their house because he's going to, to catch these aliens. And Liv goes with him uh, to check the traps for aliens. Of course, there are no aliens. But, uh, you know, she's very worried about her dad. And it's like something that they do together. And about a little less than a year after he says that he was abducted by aliens, her father disappears entirely. No one knows where he's gone. Now, it's two years later. And it's been very hard for Liv and her mother. And so the one thing that she still does, because it connects her to her father, is check the traps in the woods. And she brings her friend Doug. He's her bestie. Uh, she brings Doug with her. And so they do this, like, every Sunday for, like, years, two almost two years. And, of course, like, when she's finally, like, given up and she's, you know, very upset because it's been very hard for her. She's grieving. They don't know what happened to her dad. You know, they think, like, he something horrible has happened to him. Uh, you know, she's been grieving. On the last day that they decide that they're going to check the traps, like, this is it. We're not going to do it anymore. Guess what they find? Yep. There's something in one of the traps, and it is not of this world. And it's it's amazing and also horrifying to to live to think that you know her father was right her father was not was not crazy like everyone kept saying he was he wasn't making this up aliens really exist and now she and and doug are going to have to make a decision do they tell people what they found or do they keep the alien and the secret of the alien to themselves um and i can't say i really can't say anymore because I don't want to spoil anything, except that this is a tremendous story about grief and loss. You know, like I said, Liz, Liv, I keep saying Liv, Liv lost her dad. You know, no one knows what happened to him. So, you know, of course, that's the very sad. And, you know, the, the question of, like, where is he and what happened? Um, and, you know, there she's, you know, in shock because, hi, aliens, 
like I often like when people find aliens in movies and books and TV shows, they don't seem nearly as freaked out as I imagine I would be if I found an alien um, in my backyard. Uh, but that I guess that's because they need them to like have their wits about them somewhat to to make the story go forward. Because I would just just probably stop functioning. I don't think that I could handle it. I would probably have a heart attack and die right there. Um, I would not think like, hey, want some Reese's pieces? Uh, but you know, so. She's, you know, dealing with the truth of aliens. Um, she has a lot of anger. Uh, and that's where the dark parts of this book come from. Um, there is, I, I want to give a heads up for content that there is torture in this book. It is a very dark book. Um, there is violence and, you know, it, it, this side of people that, you know, comes out when they are traumatized and when they are grieving. Um, I don't think it would work this well if it was written by uh you know a lesser if it was in lesser hands i guess i should say um daniel cross is such an incredible writer that he pulls this off and it's just beautiful even in his darkness like the the different sides of people and the decisions that they make i just i think it's fantastic and the ending is going to it might make your eyes pop out of your head it it's possible it probably should come with a disclaimer the ending is tremendous uh, as is the rest of the book. It is Bent Heavens by Daniel Krauss. Wow. You know, like, the the problem with doing this show is I not only am like, oh, I'm learning about all these great books I, like, want to read, but then I hear about your picks, and then I'm like, oh, I want to add those to my TBR, but then I have, like, all these other picks that I have to read, and it's never-ending. <laughs> but that, yeah, that sounds amazing. So for my first pick is a book that I feel like I've been waiting a long time for. And it's Hood Feminism, Notes from the Women That a Movement Forgot by Mickey Kendall. Like I said, I feel like I've been waiting a long time for this book. I've followed Mickey Kendall on Twitter for quite a while. And I couldn't wait to both read it myself, but also have it as an addition to my arsenal of books that I recommend to people. So quick general content warning for anti-blackness, eating disorders, domestic violence. The point of this book is that there are all kinds of hard things that we must talk about when we talk about feminism. The title is aptly descriptive. This collection of essays talks about how feminism has failed and is failing so many women who are not white, cisgender, able-bodied, affluent, and straight. But there's also so much more to it. Mickey Kendall is a black woman, and some of the essays focus on black women specifically. Other essays start with a narrow focus and then widen to show the full scope of impact, or rather who is being left out of the feminism conversation. The author pens essays on many issues that are indeed feminist issues, but we rarely think of them or treat them as such. For example, she talks about how gun violence is a feminist issue, how the likelihood that a domestic vi that domestic violence will end in homicide increases like exponentially when there is a gun in the home. How gun violence is keeping girls from going to school. How gun violence affects mothers, wives, and sisters of victims. And how so many gun violence victims are women. 
Other issues discussed that feminism should be focusing on uh, because they are women's issues are hunger and food insecurity, eating disorders in the Black community, education access, housing access, colorism, maternal mortality, and so much more. A section I particularly appreciate is titled The Fetishization of Fierce. So everyone loves a sassy, unflappable black woman and everyone's all, yes, queen, and you go, girl. And people are always impressed by black women's firm boundaries until we draw those boundaries with them. And then suddenly black women are angry and toxic and aggressive. And this particular essay is chef's kiss. So good. This is, I think, one of the most important books I've read this year so far. If you consider yourself a feminist, you need to read this book. I learned so many things and the limitations I had on my own feminist views, and it's helped me consider people that I have unknowingly left out myself. Again, that is Hood Feminism, Notes from the Women That a Movement Forgot by Mickey Kendall. Okay, my next pick is Trouble is What I Do by Walter Mosley. Walter Mosley is a national treasure. Every time I read a Walter Mosley book, I'm like, why am I not just reading Walter Mosley all the time? And I am ashamed to say that this is the sixth installment in his Leonid McGill series, and I have not read one through five, which normally I would not be recommending a book that was not the first in a series. Uh, but I've like I said, I did not read the first five, and I found that it did not make a lick of difference. I completely understood what was going on and thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, this one is only like 170 pages, I think. It's just a great, fast little story. And I found Leonid McGill to be such a great character. Walter Mosley describes him as a morally ambiguous P.I., which I thought was great. Uh, he has his detective, Easy Rollins, that everybody knows from, like, The Devil Wears a Blue Dress. Uh, and Easy Rollins has the West Coast, and his McGill character has the East Coast. Um, he has a detective agency. Uh, it's it's not a big one. It's just him and his son and his receptionist. Uh, but he has quite a reputation. Uh, like I said, he's he gets jobs done. He's kind of... You know, he plays both sides. And in this story, two men come to his office. One of them is a blues man named Catfish. He's 94 years old. He carries with him a briefcase. He needs McGill to deliver something that is in the briefcase. There is also something else in the briefcase that reminds McGill of an older case incident or case slash incident that he was involved in. Um, this piece of... Uh, literature that he needs to deliver will uncover a family secret. Um, there is a very, very, very wealthy, horrible man uh, in the United States, a very wealthy businessman. His daughter is getting married, and Catfish wants McGill to deliver a letter that lets his daughter know about her black lineage, uh, that years before her grandfather was actually black and passed as white, and this is going to, you know, just change everything for the family because they, they don't realize this. And so uh, McGill, because partly because this is really going to ruffle the horrible businessman's feathers, agrees that, yes, he will do this, but 
it sort of upsets some other people, and suddenly uh, the old 94-year-old catfish finds himself uh, in the, the crosshairs of a deadly assassin who McGill has dealt with before, as we learn about at the beginning of the story. And McGill has to decide, like, what he's going to do. How does he, you know, make all of this right so nobody gets hurt? Because that's kind of what he does. I, I just, I love Walter Mosley's characters, even when they're, like, well, basically, they're all cool. They're just all cool. Like, if anybody was actually really this cool under pressure, um, they would be famous. I don't think it really happens. But, like, Miguel is just, like, an, he's an ex-boxer, so he can fight. He always keeps his wits about him. He has great intuitions. He's just very smooth. He's smooth with the ladies. He's very courageous, even when he's scared. He's just so cool. So, like, he always knows, like, here's what the plan should be, and here's how we're going to pull it off, and here's what I'm going to do when I'm, you know, staring down the barrel of a gun. And he's just always so cool. I wish I could be that cool. I could wish I could be a fraction of that cool. Um, but it's just such a great book. Like I said, Walter Mosley is an amazing writer. Uh, you know, even when, even his, like, science fiction, he writes science fiction, he writes erotica, he writes all kinds of stuff. He's so great. Um, I loved, he, we had him at Book Riot Live, I think the first year, uh, and he made Rebecca blush on stage, which was amazing. He's just, he's just such a great guy. Uh, the, this is Trouble Is What I Do, and it is by the so cool Walter Mosley. My gosh, you're absolutely right. He is a national treasure. So my next book is Clearer, Closer, Better, How Successful People See the World by Emily Belchettis. I have some content cautionings that if you don't want to read about something that has no clear problems with diet culture and considers body size as an accurate measure of health, then this book is not for you. Otherwise, it's time for my favorite nonfiction game that I made up and is maybe not actually a game called Take What's Best and Leave the Rest. The author, Emily Balchettis, is a social psychologist who studies and teaches about visual perception, which I find super fascinating. In Clearer, Closer, Better, Balchettis writes about the different ways people see and perceive things and what are the ways of seeing things that are most conducive to success. She breaks it down into four visual tactics that readers can then employ to help achieve goals. The first is narrowing your focus. Second is widening your bracket. Third is materializing your plans and progress. And fourth is controlling your frame of reference. And she has a bunch of examples and she goes through a lot of, a lot on each thing to show you different ways of choosing these tactics um, to reach your goals. Like I mentioned, there are many weight loss centric examples that I found tiresome, but there were some also really spectacular things that I found really helpful. I used to run track as a kid, and I'd totally forgotten about the visual tactics employed that Balchettis tells readers about. Mainly, I'm thinking of how long-distance runner may not focus on the finish line, but instead focus on a runner in front of them, and then work on passing them, and then pick a new runner in front of them, and working on them to pass, and just breaking things up into smaller parts. Another things that Balchettis talks about is to-do lists, which I am a dedicated list maker. She talks about how and why people are more successful widening our brackets when we make lists. For example, planning a week at a time instead of daily lists. And I hadn't really thought about my to-do lists in the ways that she discusses but I'm really happy to have read that and got that insight. And it's also made me like 
reshape how I organize my weeks. I also really appreciate her section on multitasking and how multitasking is actually only good to a certain point, but and these are my words, multitasking often just ends up doing many things poorly instead of a single thing really well. So Balchettis also uses the overarching example of her adventures in learning a single song on the drums really well, which I found to be a really delightful way to tie everything together. Again, the book is titled Clearer, Closer, Better, How Successful People See the World by Emily Balchettis. It reminds me of that Ron Swanson quote, like, why half-ass a bunch of things when you can whole-ass one thing? (laughs) I like that one. That's amazing. Yeah. There are a lot of Ron Swanson quotes that come in handy very often. So my next pick is one of those wonderful novellas that Tor.com is famous for. It is a new one called Thinna by Nino Cipri. It is set in an Ikea-like store. I have a confession to make. I've never been in an Ikea. I have heard that they are very large, and I have also heard people talk about the meatballs. But I've never been in one. What? I I don't even think we have one close to me. I think, like, the closest one is, like, two or three hours away. So I live in in Maine. So, I mean, (laughs) um, so I've never been in an Ikea, but I've heard enough stories about them. I read Horror Story by Grady Hendrix. You know, like, I I get the idea. So this one is set in a fictional Ikea-like store called Littenvarld. And there are different sections of the store that are different designs. I don't know, like, like, I don't know if this is an actual thing that they do in Ikea, but, like... One section is called the Edgelord Rockabilly Dorm Room. One is designed as, like, Her Majesty's Romper Room, which is, like, a playroom for princesses. Uh, my favorite one is called the Pastel Goth Hideaway. Uh, there's great titles for these sections. And so this book is about Ava and Jules. Uh, they were a couple. They have recently broken up. And it was very hard for both of them. So now they have uh, worked out their schedules so that they don't have to see each other because they both work at this store. And despite it being enormous, you still have to run into people in, like, the staff room and stuff. So Ava works a different schedule than Jules. However, on this day when the book starts, Derek, one of their coworkers, has called out sick. And Ava is the only one who can who can cover for him. So Ava goes in and, of course, immediately runs into Jules. And they are surprised to see her and are wondering, you know, why she's there. And so, you know, Ava says, don't worry, I'll stay out of your way. Uh, so Ava starts her shift off at the help desk, and shortly thereafter is approached by a young woman who says that she has lost her grandmother over by the nihilist bachelor cube. Uh, and she doesn't know where she's gone. Shows them a picture of her sweet little grandmother with her little purse. Her name is Ursula. And so Ava goes over and runs into Jules while Ava is there, and they can't find the grandmother. And so uh, their boss calls a meeting. And says, uh, uh, oh, they also notice that there's this weird, weird, uh, this is important. There's this weird thing uh, in the, in the sky, like a, like a, a sort of like w- wiggly line. Uh, so they go back and report what they have found. And then their manager calls a meeting because it turns out this has happened before. There is a wormhole in the store. Uh, and there is protocol for when there is a wormhole hole in the store. Uh, what happens is, uh, if someone gets lost in a wormhole, the two newest employees of the store, the the last two hires, uh, have to go in and retrieve that person. Um, and so that would be 
Jules, who was the last person hired, and Derek. But since Derek is out today, guess who gets to do it? Ava. So now Ava and Jules are stuck going into a wormhole, which they, like like I was saying about the aliens earlier, they handle this remarkably well. Like, again, I guess it's to move the story along, because if I saw a wormhole, I think I would go home. You know, I don't, I don't know that I would be like, oh, sure, I'll go in and get someone out. Um, so their boss gives them this piece of equipment called the Finna, and they take it and they go looking for Ursula inside this wormhole, which is full of alternate universes, uh, alternate uh, Litten Vald's, Vald's, and they encounter carnivorous furniture. They encounter literal swarms of retail drones. It's basically a take on consumerism and retail and how lousy it is. Uh, and how little you get paid, plus, like, all the nonsense that you put up with, uh, including, like, um, their boss, when speaking about Jules, will only speak in sentences that they, so they don't have to use their pronouns because she doesn't believe in saying they, them, and, like, you know, what a horrible thing that is, and, it, you know, how the, how she treats Ava. It's it's all about, like, all the the horrible retail nonsense. And also about these two people who just recently broke up and now they're stuck in this this situation, which is quite dangerous and also adventuresome. And, you know, how that's going to work for them. You know, are they going to be able to get along? Um, so it's, it's just a really, like, fun story. Uh, a, you know, a great satire on, you know consumerism but also like a, a beautiful story about queer love and friendship it is called finna and it is by nino cipri okay so we are going to hear about patricia's next pick but first we are going to hear about our next sponsor okay now it's your turn so my next pick is the sound of stars by alicia dow yes everyone i read a fiction i read a science fiction um quick thing I want to mention is that there are humanoid aliens, some of whose gender is non-binary. I know that there is a problem with making characters that are aliens, robots, otherwise non-human, non-binary, or trans because it's othering, and I want to mention it if you want to avoid it. I also have a couple non-binary loved ones in my life who heavily identify with robots and androids. So I just wanted everyone to know if this is something that would affect your reading of the book or not. Our main human character is Janelle, aka Ellie Baker, who is black, queer, and has anxiety. And I, I know this classic way. The, the story starts in New York City. An alien race, the Elori, have taken over Earth. They tried to be peaceful, but Earthlings fought back. And here we are at the beginning of the story where humans are in Elori-controlled confinement with little idea of what is going on. The Elori have learned that art, music, literature inspires humans to rebel, so they destroyed everything they could. Massive burnings of books, musical instruments, record albums, everything they could find. Uh, many humans hid what they could, and our hero, Ellie, started an illegal underground library with about 60 books she was able to hide. She and her friend Alice have developed an intricate way of having people request books, and then Ellie sneaking the books out from her storage in the basement to the individuals that requested them. 
If Ellie gets caught and gets two infractions, she could be executed. So the stakes are really, really high for this underground library. I also want to mention that Ellie's parents are not doing well. Her father has been vaccinated by the Ilori and is being mind-controlled or being a mind-controlled member of the security team. And Ellie's mother has sunk deeply into paranoia and alcoholism. In an alternating point of view, we meet Morris, who is an Ilori who's in charge of making a special vaccine that will be given to all remaining humans. We learn that there are two tiers of Ilori, the true Ilori, who are wealthy and stay up in space, and then the lab-made Ilori, like Morris, who are sent down to Earth and and the other planets they colonize to do all the dirty work. Morris is different from both the true Ilori and the lab-made Ilori in that he feels emotions. The other Ilori don't feel emotions. They look down on, they see emotions as weakness. And so even if they do feel any, they definitely hide them. Uh, Morris likes human art and music and he stumbles upon Ellie's hidden library and he decides he must meet this amazing human girl. The book not only alternates between Ellie's point of view and focusing on Morris, but there's a third seemingly unconnected focus, which is on the Starry-Eyed, which is slash was a popular music band on Earth. This book is a love letter to music and books, and there's like mention of a lot of musicians and books that if you're reading this book, you'll probably recognize at least a few of them. Um, it's also a sci-fi romance and an exciting and anxiety-inducing race to save the Earth from colonizing aliens who want to use it as a vacation spot. It's a ton of fun, and I highly recommend The Sound of Stars by Alicia Dow. I'm a big fan of aliens using the Earth as a vacation spot books. There are some fun ones. Yeah, that'd be an interesting roundup. Yeah, maybe I'll do one. <laughs> Yeah, I'd read it. Now that I'm saying that, I can think of like two and then my brain stopped working. Um, but um, my last pick today is nonfiction. Remember at the beginning of the year when I said I was going to read a lot of nonfiction? I have not done very well at that. But I have read this one. It's fantastic. It is called Too Much, How Victorian Constraints Still Bind Women Today by Rachel Verona Cody. It is delectable. That is that is the word I'm going to use for it. I enjoyed this so much. It is all about how women are admonished, criticized, and vilified for speaking out, for being loud, for wanting more, for showing emotion, and the double standards that come with this, how men um, – she uses Rambo as an example uh, when they are a lot, you know, they are overly anything – um, they are almost heroic, and whereas women, you know, are supposed to be quiet and tame, and she uses Victorian times as her examples because, one, she studied Victorian literature, and two, uh, because that is when they started throwing around the word hysteria a lot. You know, women were hysterical, and basically any woman who didn't do as she was told or raised her voice or asked for anything you know, could be construed as hysterical and, you know, locked away. Um, so there was no showing emotion. And she weaves cultural criticism, Victorian literature, and personal essay into these chapters. It is chock full of cultural references. 
I mean, you have your Jane Eyre, you have your Charlotte from Wuthering Heights, you have Little Women, you and then to just change things around, you have Dave Matthews and, you know, Heavenly Creatures, and it's just so much fun. Um, and it's, it's also like a lot to think about, which is, it's very, very smart. You know, I, you know, sometimes I, I think about things, not just about this in particular, but just things in general, say, thinking like, why do we do this? Or why do we think this? And it's basically all about who got there first, you know, or who started saying it first, or who has the louder voice. Um, and, and that's how we ended up doing some of the things that we do. And this is one of those things, like, you know, why are women still told, like, it's not okay to you know, ask for things or to, you know, she talks about like Lena Dunham and how people, their minds were blown seemingly because this woman who was not, you know, model skinny was an actress and oh my goodness. And um, just a lot of examples like that broken down into chapters like about food and about, um, you know, asking for things. And it's, I'm forgetting all the titles of the chapters now, but um, it's just so smart. And also um, at the beginning of the book, she acknowledges i appreciate that she acknowledges at the beginning and not at the end i think it's important uh that you know this book primarily focuses on um women identifying persons uh and you know she's hoping she's she would like to provide a broader view of beyond the cisgender white woman um but it's focusing on victorian times you know and she said that you know, there is much work to, to be done in considering the circumscription of transgender persons, gender nonconforming persons, and men, queer, and straight. She says that this is a long and intricate conversation, and she submits the following book as one rivulet leading to vaster waters. Um, and it is important to acknowledge that, you know, this is just focusing mostly on um, white uh, women presenting people. But it's it's incredible um, and so, so much to think about. It is too much how Victorian constraints still bind women today by Rachel Verona Cody. Awesome. Uh, my final book, my final book for today is a doozy. It is Minor Feelings, an Asian American Reckoning by Kathy Park Hong. I don't know why everything I'm talking about this show has content warnings, but here we are. For this one, racism, primarily anti-Asian, lynchings, rape, violence against women, including murder. As of the recording of this show right now, I've read maybe 14 or 15 books so far this year. And this book is immediately going on my list of favorite books for 2020. Holy moly, this book. It is simultaneously the embrace of a shared experience, a kick in the face, and a punch in the heart. Kathy Park Hong is a poet and Minor Feelings falls under creative nonfiction. Hong takes a wide, sweeping exploration of Asian American history, as well as a focused examination of various types of Asian Americans, recognizing that there are so many Asian countries. We as Asian Americans are not a monolith, and we have a lot of shared oppressions, as well as individualized pain points, to put it lightly. The author while writing things so heart-wrenchingly beautifully, does not put things lightly. Hong writes about the model minority myth and why we have it. Like, where did that come from? Um, Asians in media, Asians in academia, and how we as Asians sometimes interact with other Asians. She goes into detail about the United Airlines Express flight 
3411, when a Vietnamese-American passenger, David Dao Toy On, was violently removed from the plane when he did not give up his seat. Uh, many of us saw this two-minute viral video a couple years ago, but Hong tells us so much more about the story I hadn't realized, and it is absolutely heartbreaking. I also didn't expect the examination and exaltation of Richard Pryor's stand-up comedy, but it is just so well done and fits in seamlessly to the rest of the book. Her chapter about the ways that language is used both to racially oppress and racially glorify is phenomenal. I found myself holding my breath while I read it. I don't know why. I don't know what I was waiting for. It was just really intense. Myself as a mixed Asian American who grew up in a home where my grandfather's heavy Filipino accent somehow passed down to me and it still finds its way into my own just American accent when I'm really tired. My grandmother was an American-born Filipino and a legal secretary, and I was constantly reminded to speak correctly, and there's a kind of social status to sounding educated and being articulate. And so Hong's chapter about language and especially language as pertains to Asian Americans um, was just like, it was a really hard read, but it was really phenomenal. Another section is dedicated to the artist Teresa Hakyung Cha, who was brutally raped and murdered. The case had little coverage, and though her work has been shown in many places, Hong was curious as to why no one would talk about her death. They just talked around it, and they would talk about um, all of her artwork and her poetry and her films, but it's, it's like talking about her death itself was taboo. Um, this, that chapter as the rest of the book is just absolutely amazing. There's so much more to this, but I'm going to avoid telling you about this whole book and instead really urge you to read Minor Feelings and Asian American Reckoning by Kathy Park Hong. That one is at the top of my TBR, but I knew that you were going to discuss it, so I was waiting. But I have to say, I've, like, at least, at least six, if not ten people have told me that this is the best book that they've read this year. Absolutely. Yeah. So, those are our new books. It's quite a selection. I dig it. Yeah, it's pretty diverse. Yeah. So, what are you going to read next? Next on my list, I got an arc of The Mermaid, The Witch, and The Sea by Maggie Takuda Hall. Very excited. I'm, I'm excited to read that as well. I haven't yet, but I have been digging the, I got like a, like a, was it be a handkerchief? I don't know. I've kind of been wearing it as a headscarf <laughs> that came with it. Like a, it was pretty cool. It was wrapped in this cool thing. Um, I am going to read, and I'm not even sorry. Uh, I have started Piranesi, the new book by Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, author Susanna Clark. Uh, I feel like I talked it into into creation, like this copy <laughs> that I received, because last week for like the the book radar newsletter, I was like, I am so excited to read the new Susanna Clark, and I can't wait till it comes out. And then, boom, there it was, like a couple of days later. Uh, and it's funny because. To me, I was the first thing I wanted to know was, is this a sequel to Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell? Because, or I should say Norrell, because um, there are so many questions that are unanswered. It is not. But the question that most people have been asking me when I say that I have it is, 
how long is it? <laughs> yeah, that was my first thought. <laughs> it's so funny. Because, yes, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. I, have, have you seen the TV show? I love that TV show. Mr. Norell. Um, it, it's, like, what, 800, 900 pages. Uh, but this one is only 272. So hmm. not nearly as long. Um, but I- I'm excited, as I might have mentioned several hundred times. <laughs> I say the word excited a lot, which is kind of redundant as I speak in exclamation points. <laughs> I get excited about everything. Uh, so that is it for today. Uh, that That is all for our new books. That is all for the books that we are going to read. That is all for our talk about our hair colors. And <laughs> what else did we discuss? I think that was it. I think that was it. Thank you to our sponsors. Uh, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you would like to reach out to us. You can also find us online. Patricia hangs out on Twitter and Instagram. Her handle is the info file, which is T H E I N F O P H I L E. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading. reading.